Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas. Life Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377, back behind where they're building the new townhomes next to Pates Hardware. We hope to meet you this morning, be able to fellowship with you and pray with you, but if today we don't get to meet early, then maybe sometime in the near future. We'd like to let you know of a resource that we have available for you online, our blog, which offers daily devotional thoughts. You can log on to point2life.wordpress.com. That address, once again, point2life.wordpress.com. We have daily devotional thoughts that are posted there for you, as well as information on the church where you can find us to meet with us on Sunday morning and more information about our new worship facility. If you will, turn with me this morning to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, it is in the Old Testament, late in the Old Testament, just before the book of Zechariah. Haggai chapter 1 is the passage that we will be looking at this morning. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. The book of Haggai was written by the prophet Haggai during his earthly ministry in the immediate aftermath of the end of the Babylonian captivity. 
The Babylonian captivity had come to an end with the conquest of the Medes and the Persians. The Persian Empire had taken over Babylon, where the Israelites had been held for 70 years in a captivity which God allowed to happen to them as a result of generations of idolatry. For generations, the nation of Israel, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, had rejected God and engaged in idolatry, the worship of idols, the worship of false gods, the worship of deities that didn't even exist. They worshiped ancient mythology, more or less. Now, this worship of idols constituted a rejection of God, a rejection of God that had brought their forefathers out of the slavery of Egypt through the Red Sea, fed them in the wilderness for 40 years, and then brought them into the land, defeating their enemies and allowing them to be able to, to take the land so that they could have a kingdom. They rejected that God in favor of false gods that didn't exist that had never helped them. Now, this is a slap in the face of God. This is a slap to the face of God. But even beyond that, if you look at what idolatrous worship entailed back in ancient times, this was something that was pretty creepy. I mean, it goes beyond lighting incense and candles and altars and that sort of thing. Idolatry in ancient times and Old Testament times involved sexual immorality. It involved child sacrifice. And they got so ingrained in all of this that even some of the surrounding nations before the captivity were taken aback by how messed up things were becoming in Israel. And so they were not only just rejecting God, which in and of itself is a sin, is a grievous sin, but they were also committing these egregious acts of sexual immorality and child sacrifice. And I could go into detail on what all this entailed, but I won't, I won't because this is a family program. But it, was, it got pretty bad. It got pretty disgusting. And one thing we learned from the, from the example of the nation of Israel, pre-captivity being taken into captivity and then coming out of captivity, is that sin brings consequences and destruction. But when God is dealing with his children, and when God is dealing with his people, when they sin and the ensuing destruction and consequences come upon them, God uses that in order to correct the sin and to transform his children into better people. So as Israel was being taken into captivity into Babylon, as Nebuchadnezzar conquered the Holy Land, and Israel's being taken into conquest into Babylon, you have a few prophets there, one of them being Jeremiah, another one being Ezekiel, and there were others. And even before this time, Isaiah had prophesied that God would work through the captivity to transform them, and then he would bring them out of the captivity back into their homeland, and he would redeem them to be his people. He would work through the captivity, go with, the, go with them through the captivity, then bring them back into the homeland so that he could rebuild the nation, rebuild the kingdom, and prepare them for the coming of the Lord. God's purpose in allowing us to suffer the results and the consequences of our sin is used to transform us, and God's purpose in transforming us is to prepare us for the Lord's coming. And so where we are in the book of Haggai, the captivity has ended. You have some living in the city of Jerusalem that stayed behind and weren't taken into captivity. You have others that are starting to trickle in from Babylon who had been taken into captivity, 
and now the captivity is over, but still you got to find a way to get home. And you have some in Babylon that were able to get the ways and means, the uh, finances they needed in order to make the trip home. And so little by little, you have Israelites trickling back into the promised land and trickling back into Jerusalem. Now, later on, King Cyrus will issue an order, and you'll have Israelites moving in mass back into Jerusalem, but that hasn't quite happened yet. And so what you have happening in Jerusalem is you have that trickle of people moving back into town to rebuild the city after 70 years of captivity. Now, the reconstruction effort was going on. You've got houses being built. You've got businesses being built. You've got streets being built. The problem was is that there on the east side of Jerusalem, above the Temple Mount, the temple remained in ruins. Very little was left of it. It had been uh, completely destroyed during the invasion by the Babylonian Empire. And so as the people were building their houses and building their businesses and building their streets, they were not rebuilding the temple of God. And the reason could have been threefold. They could have feared political fallout. They could have wanted to place their priority on building their houses. But if that were the case, their priorities were just a little out of whack. So in Haggai chapter 1, God calls their attention to their priorities. And he implores the people to consider their ways. In verse 5, Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. And like God called them to consider their ways, so should we consider our ways. We should consider our priorities. We should consider our worship. And we should consider our faith. So let's begin by considering our priorities. We look in verses 2 through 5. In verse 2, Haggai chapter 1, the Bible reads, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. The people were saying, The time is not yet come to build the temple. It's not time to build the temple yet. It's not the right time. And I believe that this was probably out of fear. Uh, They had a few issues. One, they had limited resources. And two, rebuilding the temple might have sent the wrong message back to Persia. It might have given the Persians the idea that the Israelites were looking to form a rebellion or looking to declare independence. And they didn't want to bring any political fallout upon their heads because political fallout back in the Old Testament times also brought military force with it. And so they took their limited resources and they allocated those limited resources to rebuilding the city, but not rebuilding the temple. And you can see by the way they allocate the resources where their priorities lie. And so they would say, the time is not yet, the time is not come to rebuild the temple. And oftentimes when it comes to making the hard choices, especially when doing the right thing is the harder choice and doing the right thing may bring some difficulties on top of it, sometimes we create the excuse that it's not the right time to do the right thing because bad things will happen. We have to be wise in how we move forward. But Scripture teaches 
as well as many Christian commentators throughout the centuries, including the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who said the time to do what's right is always right now. The time is always right to do what is right. But you have these people in the book of Haggai who are building their own houses and they're allowing the temple to lie in ruins. Their priorities, based on how they allocated their resources, were on their own self-interest. And even though God promised to prepare the city for Messiah, they didn't want to prepare the temple for him. They disregarded the temple, and in disregarding the temple, they had disregarded the coming of Christ. It wasn't their priority. Their priority was not to prepare the city for the coming of Christ. Their priority was to prepare the city for themselves. Because had their priority had been to prepare the city for the coming of Christ, they would have put some effort into rebuilding the temple. Now they would have still built their own houses and their own streets and their own businesses, but they would have been building the temple also. You can see by their allocation of resources where their priorities lie. And God asked them, he commanded them, consider your ways, consider your priorities. We are to consider our priorities as well. It's always a good thing to stop and take stock of where we are spiritually, where we are morally, and what our priorities are and see if they are in the right spot. What are your priorities? You can tell your priorities by where you spend your resources. And I don't know what kind of resources you have, but they all fall under, most of your resources will fall under two categories. They'll either fall under a financial category or they'll fall under a time category. So how do you spend your time and how do you spend your money? How do you allocate those resources? You look at your check register or your online bank statement and see where you're spending your money. Those are your priorities. You look at your calendar and look at where you're spending your time. Those are your priorities. Are you preparing yourself through the allocation of your resources, time and money, and your priorities? Are you prioritizing preparing yourself and your family for the Lord's return? Or are you prioritizing enjoying the life on this earth and enjoying the here and now? What are your priorities? How are you spending your resources? The Israelites were spending their resources on their own priorities, building their own houses, building their own businesses, building their own streets, and building the things that they would need to be able to enjoy this life and completely disregarding the coming of Christ and the coming of the Lord and preparing the city and the temple for his arrival. And so they were investing a lot. They were working hard. They were looking for big returns, and it wasn't quite uh, working out. We look in Haggai chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. The Bible says, Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. You ever feel like that's your bank account? You get your paycheck, you deposit your paycheck, maybe you take direct deposit, and you've got some money, you know what your bills add up to, and so you're looking at what you might have left over, and you think about what you'd like to do that with that, and then 
you go through about a week or two, pay the bills, and you go to the grocery store, go to the store a few times, do a few things, and next thing you know, you're broke. And it just seems like no matter what happens, you just can't seem to get enough money to get that saving started, to get those investments rolling. You ever feel like uh, every time you think you're about to get ahead, something bad happens, the washing machine goes out, the water heater quits working, you know, there, there's a there's a problem with one of the cars, they develop trouble, right? That's earning wages to put into a bag with holes. That's what the people in Haggai's day were dealing with. And so God speaks in verse 7. He says, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. The people in Haggai's day had sown much. They had worked hard and they had dedicated themselves to hard work. They had dedicated themselves to achievement. They had worked overtime. They had put forth the effort, gone the extra mile, the whole nine yards. But the problem was is that their desire was not to care for their families or to prepare the city for the coming of the Lord. They were just interested in earning more money. Their efforts, therefore, went unfulfilled because God does not bless rejection. Even if you're rejecting God for something you think is noble, God does not bless rejection. Dedicating yourself to work and wealth creation and wealth building is a biblical path to sorrow. Sitting here saying, you know, I'm going to work a bunch of overtime so I can earn extra money so that I can afford this or I can afford that. Um, That's a biblical path to sorrow. The Bible tells you that if you are going to work yourself crazy in order to earn as much as you possibly can, you are going to find yourself in a sad, dark, depressed place. This is scriptural. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6 says, better is a handful with quietness than both hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Let's look at that again. Ecclesiastes 4 6 says, better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. That means you have an option here of having one handful or having both of your hands full of blessing, whether that's money, food, whatever you can imagine, whatever it is that you want in life. You can get a handful or two handfuls. But with the one handful, you've got quietness. You've got peace. Life is good. you found balance in life. With two hands full, you've got travail and vexation of spirit, which means you are working hard, you are tired, and your spirit is vexed, which means that there's an internal conflict happening there, and there's conflict in your life. It's better to have less with peace than it is to have more with struggle. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6. Psalm 127, verse 2 says, It is vain to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Well, I'm trying to create a better life for my kids, so I'm waking up early, I'm staying up late, I'm working 90 hours a week, Listen, the Bible says that God gives his beloved sleep. That means that God is willing to provide for you and your family and your children through a job that will allow you to sleep, through a job that will allow you to rest. So if you feel like you have to work a a 90-hour week in order to make ends meet, you're either working for too little 
or you're expecting too much. You're either working for a sub-minimum wage job, which is not very likely in this area, in this area, maybe a minimum wage job. If you're working 90 hours a week at minimum wage, that still that can, that can still turn into something with a time and a half for 50 hours on the week. Now, if you're working crazy hours, then you're probably working for more than minimum wage, and you're probably bringing home a good paycheck. And if you can't make ends meet on that, then your idea of what it costs and what it means to provide may be a little bit high. Oftentimes, we get our minds off track when it comes to what it means to provide. To provide for your family means you provide them with shelter. You provide them with food. You provide them with clothing. When it comes to the kids, you're providing them with education. Everything else is a luxury. And so it may be that if you're not getting sleep, if you're not getting rest, if you're not getting time off from work, maybe we need to look back at what your priorities are and put things back in perspective and start making some hard choices. Because God never intended on you to work yourself into an early grave. It's better to have just one handful with quietness than two handfuls with struggle. It's vain to rise up early and to sit up late and to eat the bread of sorrows. Psalm 127.2 says, For so he giveth his beloved sleep. God wants you to rest. God wants you at peace. God wants you to feel secure in the provision and the blessings that he has provided for you. And so as the scripture says that we're studying this morning, consider your ways. What are your priorities? What are you working for? What are you allocating your resources toward? Do they have eternal value or is their value wrapped up completely in how they can be used in this world? Consider your priorities. The second thing we take from Haggai chapter 1 here is to consider our worship. We look in verse 8, Haggai chapter 1. It says, Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. God told the Israelites that if they gathered the materials and built the temple, he would be pleased and he would be glorified. He would take pleasure in the temple. He would be happy with the temple. He would be excited and ecstatic that his people built his temple. He would be pleased, and he would be glorified. To glorify God means to show forth his glory. It means to declare his greatness and his goodness to others. God would be glorified. His greatness and his glory would be declared to the surrounding nations if Israel would rebuild the temple. The temple was the place of worship. And so God would be pleased and glorified if they worshiped him. There is a lesson here. And the lesson is that we can please God when we worship him. When we worship God, we show forth his glory. We reflect his glory. We show the world how great he is. We declare his goodness and greatness, and we demonstrate that. And he is pleased with that. And so we learn here that we can please God with our worship. The question here is, are you worshiping? They were to gather the materials and build the temple. They were to bring the materials to the temple mount and to build the temple. They were to bring the materials to God and build his house. They were to bring the stuff to God. Are you bringing anything to God? Do you give God anything to bless? 
Do you show forth the goodness and greatness of God? Do you show the wonderful things that he has done in your life? Do you show the transformation that he has put you through? Do you praise him for the blessings that he has put in your life? Do you show your thankfulness to him? Are you worshiping God? Consider your worship. And finally, we are exhorted to consider our faith. We look here in Haggai chapter 1, and let's read verse 12. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. You see that word fear, and it carries with it this awe and reverence. That means that they knew who God was, they trusted him as God, and they were in awe of him, and they revered him. They were in wonder toward him. They have faith. Then, verse 13, spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. God told the people he was with them. And in telling the people that he was with them, here's what he's telling them. He's telling them that he would bless their efforts to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city, that he would protect them in the process, and that he wouldn't abandon them and leave them shamed, falling before their enemies. What he is telling them when he says, I am with you, he's saying, you can trust me. I'm going to make sure this thing works out. Do you trust God? Do you trust God to take care of you? Do you trust God to protect you? Do you trust God to bless you in your efforts? Do you trust God to provide for you? Or are you afraid that God is going to turn his head and let you fall into destitution and abandonment and leave you ashamed? Do you trust God? That's the number one question he asks. All the scriptures, we go Genesis to Revelation. We look at God talking to Adam. We look at God talking to Cain and Abel. We look at God talking to Seth, to Enoch, to Noah, to Noah's sons. We look at God talking to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. We look at God talking to Judah. We look at God talking to Moses. We look at God talking to Aaron. We look at God talking to Joshua. We look at God talking to Gideon. We look at God talking to Ruth. We look at God talking to Samuel, talking to David, talking to Solomon, talking to, oh my goodness, there's Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the succeeding kings. God talking to Elijah, the prophet. God talking to Elisha, the prophet. God talking to David. God talking to Solomon. God talking to the Shulamite woman. God talking to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, to Ezekiel, to Jonah, and so on and so forth. We go into the New Testament. You've got Jesus talking to the disciples, the Apostle Paul talking to the churches of the New Testament, the Apostle John receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ on the Isle of Patmos, Genesis to Revelation. God is talking to men, through men, and through the scriptures. And you go through all the Bible stories, every single one of them comes back to this one concept, this one question. Do you trust God? He has promised to be with you, Matthew 28, 20. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. 
Amen. He promised to be with his people, to protect us, to provide for us, to bless us, to prosper our efforts for him. Do you trust him? The people of Haggai's day did. Verse 14 tells us, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They trusted God, and so he stirred their spirit. You trust God, and he'll stir your spirit as well. Haggai chapter 1 teaches us that we are to consider our ways. Consider your priorities. What is most important to you, and does that line up with what Scripture says should be most important to you? Consider your worship. Do you worship God? Do you show forth his praises? Do you demonstrate his greatness? Do you show forth his glory? And do you trust the Lord? This morning, I'd like to invite you to Life Point Baptist Church. We meet for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377, right behind where they're building the new townhomes next to Pates Hardware. We hope to be able to meet with you soon. You can find us online at point2life.wordpress.com. May God bless you. May God keep you will always be our prayer.